It is the 5th of February. It's a Monday. If you've taken the day off to score a long weekend combined with Waitangi Day, well done. Very clever. If you haven't, well, it's only one day, then you get tomorrow off, so it's not all bad, is it? Kia ora. This is Newsable. I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. The future of the free period products in schools programme looks uncertain. We're speaking to one advocate who is deeply concerned. What does the start of 2024 look like for property sellers and property buyers? Buyers, we have the latest report out this morning, and Waitangi Day is officially tomorrow. So, how do locals prepare for such an occasion, and does this year feel different to others? All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz/support. The future of an initiative making sure school kids have access to free sanitary products is uncertain. The Free Period Products in Schools programme was launched nationwide in 2021 and has seen at least one million items distributed across the country. But the funding carved out for it, set by the previous government, which was $25 million over three years, ends mid this year. And in a statement to Newsable, new Minister for Education, Erica Stanford, told Newsable she is currently seeking advice on the project and that any announcement around its future funding will be in the May budget. Danica Revel is from The Period Place, which is a charity making sure everyone who needs period products can get them, and she's here to talk about this more. Danica, what would it mean to have this programme scrapped? It would be a bloody disaster in the literal and (laughs) physical and mental and emotional sense. This program is so much more than just putting some pads and tampons in schools. I've been talking a lot in the last week about how positive this program has been, how it has brought a sense of compassion into a lot of schools. It's brought a sense of we care about the students and their health and their well-being into a lot of the schools. So this government has a real opportunity to decide what type of government it wants to be for youth, for people who get periods, for girls, for women, for our non-binary and trans communities. And it can do that in a way without spending a lot of money, which is what they keep talking about they want to do. They want to get bang for buck. So, you know, we've got reported numbers back from the program that 45% of um, students had barriers removed for why they were missing school from these products. We had um, 49% of improved student well-being. When you're looking at something that's affecting, you know, in a positive way, up to almost 50% of the students coming in more, uh, of the menstruating students coming in more, it just, to me, it just, I don't even understand why we're having the conversation. I don't know why the government don't come out on the front foot on this and just go, yeah, this is a program and we're going to continue it. So why is it important for you to get certainty over this initiative? Why isn't waiting till the budget announcement uh, good enough? I understand it's... It's complex and I understand in some ways people feel like if they come out and they say one thing, then is it going to be a floodgate? Everything's a period pun. Is it going to be a floodgate and everybody else is going to want to um, understand if their program, you know, or the thing that they're advocating for is getting through? Uh, one thing that I just want to reiterate, we have not been a part of this program formally. We've not been, uh, the period place hasn't been paid for any of the mahi. We are just batshit obsessed (laughs) with 
um, menstrual health. And with something like this, because it's such a simple program, there are countries all over the world that have much bigger plans, national action plans and health strategies for people with periods, for menstruators that take into consideration everything from menarche, the first time you get your period, right through to menopause. And so where we are as a country, like this is a, this is such a tiny, tiny little thing, but the impact is so profound for the students, for everybody around, uh, the students at the school as well who don't have a period, who are positively impacted by less disruption in class, by their friends attending school more, um, and also for the whānau um, of the students as well because they know that their kids are going to school more often, they're learning um, more, they're not missing out on multiple days every month, you know, spread across a year. You're looking up to up, sometimes up to 20% less education each year. Mm. Compound that over high school, where that kid's finishing is below their peers, not because they weren't trying hard enough, not because they didn't want to be there, but because there were barriers that they had no control over. And that's going to impact them across their lifetime. It just, it doesn't make sense to me why they're not just coming out and saying yes so simply. Danica Rivell, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And just a reminder again about the government's stance. Education Minister Erica Stanford says she is seeking advice from officials on this program and any announcements around its future, around future funding for it, will be made at this year's budget. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we have the latest property data out this morning next, but I really do quickly need to read you this headline that I spotted. 285-year-old lemon auctioned for nearly $3,000. A 300-year-old lemon... For three grand. It was found at the back of an old cabinet, which was also up for auction and sold for an embarrassing 65 bucks in comparison. The person photographing the cabinet getting its glamour pics ready for the website found said lemon and they decided, well, we may as well sell it as well. It did have a message inscribed on it, to be fair, so it's not just your old, your average old lemon. It said, given by Mr P. Lou Francini, November 4, 1739, to Miss E. Baxter. Like I said, not just any old lemon, but still definitely an old lemon. Anyway, if you don't ever want to miss a yarn as good as the one I've just spun you, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. Our country's housing market has, in real estate speak, had a warm start to 2024. Sounds nice and toasty, doesn't it? Real Estate NZ has this morning released fresh housing data that shows the South Island is breaking records and buyers 
are back. Vanessa Williams from Real Estate NZ is with us now to explain everything. Kia ora, Vanessa. Oh, kia ora. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, what exactly do you mean by warm start to the year? Well, if we're to compare it to last year, which was quite cold, and what I mean by that is prices were either very, very stagnant or they were dropping. And also new listings coming onto the market in any given month with like record lows over 16 years. And so what we have seen is the opposite of that, which is prices are starting to warm. Now we're not, we're just seeing signals of about 11 of our 19 regions having year-on-year growth, which is positive signs. Mm -hmm. But most notably, we have also seen demand and supply warm up. So that means that people are not afraid to put their house on the market during January, in fact, they were up 10% more than they were this time last year. And also our demand, so site visits to realestate.co.nz are up considerably. And do we know who is buying? For a while there, it was slightly better for first home buyers or are the investors back in town? I think investors are definitely starting to warm up, especially with the talks around the debt to income ratios and whether the LVRs are going to change. And of course, the shift of the bright line test for investor the investor market. So what I would say is that because a lot of those haven't actually come into play yet, our lovely first home buyers are still snapping up a lot of the properties, especially at the lower end of the market. Um, But no, we've also seen what's been interesting this month is a significant increase from international interest and most notably the US. Now, I have got no idea as to whether that's to do with the political landscape. You said it, not me. You said it, not me. Over there or not. But um, what we are seeing is increased interest from the US market. Are we looking at heading back to crazy times? This all sounds bonkers. And I would totally agree with it, not me. Bonkers is a really great word for it. So, yeah, hey, look, who, who knows what we're going to see, but certainly there is interest offshore from the US market. The South Island breaking record. Central Otago has set a national record with homes commanding an average price of $1.62 million. What's going on there? Has this snuck up on everyone? I swear Central Otago's never been named, uh, you know, previously sort of in the lineup of uh, most expensive places. Isn't that just crazy? Bonkers. Like talking about bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is. It's like, wow, 1.6 million, which is significantly higher again than um, any of our other regions. So about the closest is Coromandel at 1.2. But wow, it's fascinating. And what's been really interesting is while the rest of New Zealand cooled over the last 18 to two years, Central Otago Lakes was like, nope, I'm continuing to drive up. So look, you know, Kiwis, we love property, we love our lifestyle, and look, if there is one region that certainly has both of those in, you know, in droves, it's certainly that region. And so um, we also get a lot of interest out of the region, so certainly interest from people in Christchurch, Auckland, and Sydney is actually the third spot there around where people are when they're searching for property in that region. Heard it here first bonkers, this housing market. Vanessa Williams from Real Estate NZ, always a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. Remember to stay across all things newsable. Make sure you're following NZ Stuff on TikTok and Instagram. And if you want to get in touch directly, do flick me an email at newsable at stuff.co.nz. Tomorrow is another day off for many, but of course, way more importantly, it is Waitangi Day, the day we mark the signing of what's regarded as New Zealand's founding document, the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Tiriti o Waitangi, in 1840. 
It's an historic day and one often filled with debate along with the celebrations, but it also involves a lot of people in one area. So to tell us about all the work that goes into Waitangi Day, we're joined by Peter Tipene, the chairman of the Waitangi National Trust. Kia ora. Kia ora, Richard. Peter, how have preparations gone for this Waitangi? Tensions are heightened this year given the political situation, but it doesn't differ in any way in how we've prepared. We're a little bit like sports teams, so we just continue preparing as we've always done. And that means that immediately after each Waitangi Day, we review what's um, happened. We talk to all of our partners and stakeholders who we've been working with, including the government, particularly the local marae and the local hapu and the hapu of Ngapuhi. And we start preparing for the next year, always looking for continuous improvement and looking to how we can do things better. That's a good 11 months prior, but we start hitting the end of the year, then go into Christmas and everybody goes into the festive period. We we take a little bit of a break and then in the first week of January, we recharge, we start getting back together uh, and start pulling together all of the pieces a lot of hard work indeed. And how many people do you anticipate will visit over the course of the weekend and the beginning of the week? As you mentioned, you know, it's, it's a week-long celebration, really. Well, over the course of um, five to seven days, uh, we usually get approximately 30,000. I, I would say that we'd get up to 50,000 this year. Two HR and the Kingi Tanga coming alone, he, he brings a huge group. So, yeah, there, there'll be much more people and we're expecting it. We're ready. Have you got enough bacon for the barbie? <laughs> yes, well, there, there's all of that and, and making sure that we conduct our key values of Māori tikanga values, that is, in Manakitanga and providing hospitality, making people feel at home. Does this Waitangi feel different to others of late? Uh, no. Uh, th- this is not dissimilar to any previous years. As I speak to you, I'm up at the Waitangi Treaty Grounds. Uh, the shoreline is less than 160 metres from where I'm standing. And the tide comes in and the tide goes out. So do governments, so do personalities. It brings a different uh, uh, way of doing things and either tensions or not. But as I say, we're, we're like the All Blacks or the Silver Ferns. We just continue in our preparations as we always have. Waitangi National Trust Chairman Peter Tipini, thank you so much for finding the time to Korero. Job. Thank you. And that is Newsable for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Imogen Wells. Enjoy Waitangi Day off tomorrow. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.